Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of our Lord's resurrection may by your life-giving Spirit be delivered from sin and raised from death <clears throat> through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> well, quite appropriately, we have our final But God passage out of our But God series that we've been doing. And our final passage comes to us today in this day of Easter with the greatest But God story of all. And this would be that greatest catastrophe, as we learned when we first began that was ever recorded. We enter the story of God, uh, of God, a God-fearing Gentile who has sent for Peter to hear from Peter. He needs to hear from Peter, and, and Peter's going to share the gospel with him, him and his household. So there would be a, a fair uh, crowd gathered here for this occasion. His name is Cornelius. He was a Gentile, and... Um, he had sent for Peter, the, pre, the previous verses talk about this, and Peter had a vision that helped prepare him for this, that the gospel is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And we think of Paul as the uh, apostle or disciple that took the gospel to the Gentiles, and rightfully so, he did that uh, an awful lot, but the very first one is this one, which is, which is uh, Peter taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And the gospel is summed up in this passage in the life and ministry of Jesus along with his death and resurrection. So may the Lord grant us receptive hearts as we rediscover the gospel anew today. The first thing we're going to look at is the inclusive nature of the gospel. Verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter begins his sermon to Cornelius' family and, and group of people there, these Gentiles, saying that God is like a judge who shows no partiality, he has no favoritism. As a judge has to judge based on the basis of what is right and what is wrong, what is the law, and it's not on, based on who's pretty or who's ugly, or where they came from, what their background is, or what their, uh, what their, so what their nationality is, or what their race is. It's, it's all about the simple facts of the law. So he's, he's, he's saying God is like that, <clears throat> where he shows no favoritism to anybody. So. Anybody from any kind of ethnic group or socioeconomic class or age group or weight class doesn't make any difference. People of short and tall all can come to God and be reconciled to God through Christ. In this, in, he, he is intending more specific to say that any nation, anybody from any nation, meaning anybody that's outside the Jewish camp, can still come to him. So, um, Cornelius will not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. So this is addressing a very specific need to this very specific individual. But it still applies, and the gospel is for everybody. So it is a very inclusive invitation for the gospel. 
And this verse does not indicate that the Lord is going to see uh, how someone is going to behave and have right actions and then, um, and then extend salvation to them. But it is uh, those who are willing to come to him through humble submission will be received by him. So the second thing we're going to see is that history, theology, and the gospel is in the life, uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So verse 36. It says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of, the, of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Now these, these, um, these verses that we're going to go through, this 36 through 41, contain the body of the sermon that Peter preached. That at least as Luke recorded. It could be that Luke recorded a summary of, the, of this sermon. The sermon could have been longer and Luke records this summary. And this summary, though he's speaking to a group of Gentiles, it's not a lot different than that same gospel he preached earlier in Acts to the groups in different times, to, to groups of uh, Jews when he, when he addressed them. It's very similar. He says that, uh, in verse 36, he says that the way to be reconciled to God and fellow man is through this message of peace through Jesus Christ. And he says he is the Lord of all, meaning both Jew and Gentile. Peter sets in time and plays the acts of Jesus. He begins with John's baptism. He references these things without a great deal of detail because these are public events that are widely known. And there is this assumption, and he must be right, that Cornelius and this group of Gentiles would have known about these things. So he doesn't elaborate on them, he just refers to them. But, he's, but he is referring to Actual, historic, public events. He looks to Jesus' life and ministry and then his death and resurrection. He kind of has three, I think Peter has kind of three points to this main body of his sermon. So, verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. In verse 39, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So God, and, and so we're covering this life and ministry of Jesus. God anointed Jesus, not like he did the prophets of the Old Testament with oil, but with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was a different kind of prophet. He, he would go about doing miraculous works, relieving those whom the devil had oppressed, and then he would bring healing and wholeness to them. And his mighty works were pro proved that he was greater than the devil because God was with him. And for those of you who have been with us through this But God series, it's very reminiscent of 
how Joseph had favor with God because God was with him, and so he was able to accomplish what it was he set out to do. Well, God was with, God the Father was with Jesus, the Son, and in a powerful way so that he equipped him to be more powerful than the, the evil one. Peter says that we, meaning the apostles, were witnesses of all that he did. These things were done in public, and many people saw what was going on, but the apostles were with him day in and day out. They were now eyewitnesses for the mighty works of Jesus. They were there and could give a first-hand account as to what they saw and what happened and who was healed and how it went. Now, with his life and ministry summarized, Peter moves to the next point, which is his death. So, in the remainder of 39, it says, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This they, in this partial verse, would be the authorities in Jerusalem. So, they crucified him by hanging him on a cross. We, we well know that. But why does Peter then say, They hung him on a tree? Well, evidently, this is an important detail that even a Gentile would know, or at least Peter was going to make a theological uh, point through this statement. Galatians 3, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So by saying that he was Hanged on a tree, Peter is saying that Jesus bore our burden of God's punishment due us for sin. And Peter is saying, you are familiar with these historical events. But I want you to see that though they were carried out by men or human agency, there is also a divine agency behind all of these things. So they didn't just happen. The life and death of Jesus were described. Then Paul moves, or Peter moves from death to the resurrection. And so we come to the but God. So but God, but, but what is it? But, but God remembered Noah? No. One greater than Noah has come. But you, O Lord, are a God, of mer of a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, out of Psalm 86, which was our second week. No. Or, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive. Out of Genesis 50, 20. Or, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. Or was it, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Or was it up to last week? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Ephesians 2, 4. No, this is not it. In verse 40 it says, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. 
not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. But God raised him on the third day. Peter refers to a specific date. He's, he's point, he's, he has identified these other acts in history that are known, and then he's identifying this specific date. It was on the third day, third day that God raised him from the dead. He raised him, and he made him appear to many people. So this is, I think, beyond he was just raised, it is helpful for us to understand, and in a, in a, in a world where we can doubt um, most any kind of report that comes our way, and I think the more and more news you watched, the better off you would be if you doubted most of it, or at least questioned it. Well, if we're not careful, we doubt what is true. So this message comes to us and we doubt it. How could it have been written? I saw somebody was going to prove the resurrection and how it happened. I don't even know what that means. People do a lot of things for Easter. I don't know how I could prove this to you. I have no idea. This is an impossibility. There are all kinds of impossibilities in the Bible. I'm a mere man. I cannot explain these things. And that if we're going to be concerned, like, I don't know. I don't know how God speaks and the world exists. That's a pretty strange miracle. I don't know how he saved me. So there are lots of things I don't know. But what we can rest assured in is he didn't just raise him from the dead. He raised him and had him appear to people so that there would be an eyewitness account of this fact that this really did happen. So this is not, this is not a, uh, I mean, people could debate it if they want, but you can find the proof that this happened because people saw it, and it's many people who saw it and reported to it. Peter's in this particular group of apostles who the Lord had already chosen to be revealed this risen Christ. So they, the apostles, are first and foremost eyewitnesses to what has happened. And then he goes on to explain that this is like not some ghostly body, but this is actually, we sat around and ate and drank with him. So Jesus, who came eating and drinking, then is raised from the grave to come eating and drinking again. But what a precious thing uh, uh, and how intimate it is to share a meal with Jesus. Peter has shown that there is both human and divine action in this miraculous story that goes beyond our ability to explain. The life and ministry of Jesus, along with his death and resurrection, are the elements of the gospel. These things that were played out in real time, in real history, were witnessed to by real people. So as we're moving along through this passage, I want to, I want to look at the exclusive nature of the gospel, or the exclusivity of Christ. Verse 42, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
says he commanded us to preach. The apostles were to then go, preach, and testify about who this Jesus is. He is the appointed one by God. He is the one who's going to come and judge the living and the dead. All of the Old Testament history has been predicting his coming. They've been telling about his coming. The prophets preached and wrote about him, and he was going to come and redeem the world. They were expecting to see a redeemer. And whoever believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. This seems very simple. This gospel is open to all. But the way to the Father is straight and narrow. All roads of religion don't go up the same mountain to get to the same God, just taking different paths. That's a popular notion in our day, but it's simply not accurate. The creator of the universe, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, provided one way to become reconciled back to him. After this relationship was broken in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, in the midst of the curse, in chapter, in chapter 3, verse 15, there's a promise of a deliverer. There's a promise of one who will overcome the, uh, the, the snake, the serpent, the seed of the serpent. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one who's been predicted to come since Genesis 3, since there was a need. It's not the anybody that rises up and calls themselves, I've got another religion. It's this one. He is the way because he is the Christ, the one whom the prophets have talked about all along. This is what the gospel lays out for us. It's because of his divine slash human birth, that is from the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit, that he was, be, he was able to be born without sin, making him an um, acceptable sacrifice, as it turns out. Then he was also obedient to his father's will. He kept the law when we couldn't, and he did not sin. And it is because of his substitutionary death on the cross that he died in our place. And he was put to death and buried. But God raised him from the grave. And on the third day, that proves that this sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient to assuage the wrath of God that was due us for sin. So he becomes the one not one of many, he becomes the one sacrifice that can bridge this gap between us and God. The problem was created when man fell. The problem was cured through God's actions. This one-way love that comes to us and says, you are loved by me as I set my love on you and draw you into my family. Our response to that becomes one of humility and we receive this grace that he's offering when it becomes clear that he is holy and we are not. And we, our sin is laid before him and we finally recognize we need a covering for this sin. Then he is able to do that. 
It is because he was raised from the dead. This proves his worthiness as the sacrifice. And then it shows us that he overcame death and sin. And then he gave life to all who will receive this lavish grace. Have you received this lavish grace? Are you willing to come to him in humble submission in order to receive? And then those of us who would have received maybe even a long time ago, how does our life reflect this? Do we walk in humility? Do we walk in gratitude? The two key pieces of, of what the character of the Christian should be. We should be walking in humility and we should be walking in gratitude. Now you can have a bad day and you can be just totally uh, down about all kinds of things. And gratitude is not on the top of your list. I don't have a problem with days or, or weeks or, or seasons. But overall, if we're not even gracious, if we're, if we're not even grateful, we need to revisit whether or not we truly have been receiving this lavish grace. Do we understand it? Do we really, are, we, are we standing in our righteousness or are we depending on his? The beautiful thing about the gospel is not only that he took our sin as this right kind of sacrifice, but in, the, in his obedience he earned a righteousness that we are not able to earn. And so we stand before a holy God covered in robes of white, of white robes of righteousness, which he provides as he has accounted or imputed his righteousness to us. So we stand firmly in the family of God as we have received this grace which he offered through no efforts of our own other than recognizing our sin which we needed to repent of. So he comes and his kindness leads us to repentance. So I would ask you on this Easter day have you received this lavish grace? If not why not now? It, there, there will be no better time than to, right now to come to him through humble submission and receive his forgiveness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray.